have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good folks, and welcome to uh, Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo, and I'm excited about getting into the Word. Boy, we are nearing the end of our study of the churches. We've just got two churches left, and so I'll just let you know what format I plan on taking. Uh, it'd be great if you read it before you listen. Um, and so we're going to talk about Philadelphia today. We'll talk about Laodicea next week. And then the week after, we're going to do some comparisons, some really deep Bible looking um, and look at some comparisons that happen in Matthew 13 primarily. But we're also going to look at, at some of the other epistles that are in the Bible and some other things that point directly to these churches and how they are, dare I say, mystically, um, by way of the Holy Spirit, of course, um, tied to each other. And with and it's amazing because the Bible is 66 books with over 40 authors written over thousands of years. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit comes, brings together all of these uh, these authors um, and gives this one singular message system that does not contradict itself and points directly to the same Christ and the same things that Christ says. And so I'm really excited about uh, digging deep into these treasures that are the word and unveiling some of these things, because how many of you know that Revelation is the only book of the Bible that comes with promise to the one who reads and studies these scriptures? And, and you know, I, I can make my guess at what the, the promises are, but I'm not going to even pretend like I understand God because I don't. Um, but one thing that I know that blesses me when I study Revelation is that Revelation requires you to go into just about every portion of this Bible. I mean, it makes you dig deep. You go into books that you don't normally go into. Like, it's got me talking about Philemon. Um, and the only way that I knew that Philemon was really in the Bible because we learned it when we learned the books of the Bible when I was in ele elementary school. Um, and I was part of Sunday school and all these things. But, you know, rarely do we really dig into Philemon. And very rarely do we talk about him or his lineage. And it's amazing how even a study of Revelation will cause you to understand this man had kids who were in ministry. Um, and we're going to talk about that uh, either here today or tomorrow or maybe the next week. Um, but it's just amazing, y'all. I, I love it. But we're in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is the, the church that I think everybody wants to be part of. At least when we talk to people, we tell folks, I belong to the church at Philadelphia because the church at Philadelphia had a lot of great things that were written about them here in uh, this epistle from Jesus Christ penned by John. 
Okay, so what we're going to do is I want you to, to remember that all of the letters have four levels of meaning, okay? Keep that in mind that there's a, a, a local meaning, and we'll talk about some of the history behind that. There is an admonitory meaning. There is a personal meaning for you and I to take to heart and to look at, search our own hearts as we read and study these things. But there's also prophetic meaning. And as we pull out some of the prophetic uh, today, and in about two weeks, when we tie all of this stuff together and really just dig deep into it, um, I, I, it is very prophetic. It, and and, and I'm, I'm nobody's prophet, and I will, I'm quick to tell you that. But the word, the anointing is indefinitely on the word. And as long as you are digging deep in, in Scripture, you're going to see what God wants his church to hear. And it is amazing the message system that he set aside to distinctly write to us. Um, I think that is absolutely beautiful. Like he literally took out all of these type over thousands of years to make sure that we understood what he was trying to say. And he did it in such a manner that it was completely artful. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to be sure to try to pull that out today. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm coming off the heels of the flu and I'm dick. I'm dive deep into strep throat over the last two weeks. But I do think it is important that we stay in the word and stay on our study. So here we are, guys. And when we're starting in uh, Revelation chapter three, uh, the, the letter to the church at Philadelphia begins at verse at verse seven. So I'm going to read the letter. I'm going to give you a little bit of history and then we're going to come back and dissect what the scriptures say. All right. So here we go. Verse seven. He says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words to him who is holy, holy and is true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of you who are of the synagogue. I'm gonna make those of you, those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, since you have kept my commandments to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on you, the whole world, to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name that my God, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of the heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, <clears throat> so Philadelphia is the youngest of the seven cities, and this is historically. Um, it was favored for wine production. It was a virtual gateway uh, for Asia, Asia Minor. Like it was smack dab, and it was like one of those places that can thrive. It was right there, and you know, at the time, uh, Asia Minor was really where the world's produce happened, you know, I think when people think about, you know, large areas of the world. Now, and let's keep in mind, Asia Minor is what a lot of people call the um, Middle East, <laughs> which is, is, is very much so striving in this day and age today. Um, but, you know, usually when people think about world powers, they think about European countries, they think about uh, the United States, and then they think about um, the 
the Asia Minor or Middle Eastern or, you know, if we're going to be geographically correct, that portion of Africa. But I, I digress. Um, but it was it was it was but it was actually under the legal jurisdiction of Sardis. OK. Um, and it suffered at the hands of a large Jewish following. Now, you remember just a couple of seconds ago, and I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. Remember just a couple of seconds ago, we talked about the synagogue of Satan. Um, I think it's really interesting that you note right now that they suffered at the hands of a large Jewish following. Um, and remember, we're talking about the church. We have not gotten to the, the innate Jewishness of the book of Revelation. We are indeed uh, talking about the church. Now, I think I've said this in the past, but I want to make this very clear that the church and the Jews are not the same thing. Those are two distinct groups that are dealt with in the book of Revelation in the, and in the word. OK, there are promises that are specific to the church and there are promises that are specific to the um, to the to the uh, Jewish faith. Now, can you be a Jew and be a, and, and be a part of the church? Yes, you can. Uh, yes, you can. But there are specific promises that God made to the Jewish faith that he would bring through the line that would birth the church. OK. And so I think first we need to understand that just because when we talk about the Jews and we talk about the church, those are not the same people. OK. And I think that'll help us as we go through today's study and studies here throughout the rest of Revelation. OK, let's go back to verse one. And we're going to break it down now to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right. I think I've tried to point out that the name of each church is very important to the letter and to the timbre and, and to the makeup that God gives us as he be, tries to break down what is happening um, and what the issues and what he's proud of in the place. Now, so the church in Philadelphia, we know that the root word uh, Philadelphia um, phileo is actually one of the root words for this word that goes to the New, New Testament, like nobody's business, love. So really, Philadelphia is the city of love. Uh, we know that Philadelphia phileo is a brotherly love, and and it's, it's it's a it's a nice type of you know our love is nice love. <laughs> But it's important to understand that Philadelphia is the city of love and that they are embodying this. Now, Philadelphia is the is one of the only two letters of the seven that is that he has nothing bad to say about them. Um, and it comes with the, this amazing promises that we're going to deal with at the end um, that, you know, I, if, if you want if you had to choose a church, you know how we church hop. If you had to choose a church, I would go choose Philadelphia <laughs> if we're going to be real. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to willing to push you and to be real and to be honest about where you stand in Christ and where you stand as a person. Would you really choose a church at Philadelphia? Um, because as we I mean, as, as we've dealt with five other um, five other uh, letters and other churches, and we deal with the characteristics of their churches. Sure, we can look at them with our nose tooted up um, as I dissect this stuff and we discuss this stuff. But as a person and the things that you're attracted to and the things that you want to be included by, the things that you do in your day-to-day -day walk, would you really choose to, to join Philadelphia? Would you really choose to walk like the Philadelphians do? And I want you to keep that in your mind as we travel through these verses, okay? And then after he says, to so the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, let no, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now, um, what, let's, look, let's look at this verse. 
So the key Christ, the key here is first, okay, he says the one that is holy. You remember the description of Christ in all of his letters, the description that he chooses for himself is important to how he wants to relate to this church, okay? We said that Philadelphia meant the city of love, right? And since it was the city of love, the key here, when he says the one who is holy and true, the key here is that Christ was holy at his birth in Luke 1, 35. He was holy at his death, at his death, according to Acts 2.27, and he's holy in his current state in Hebrews 7.25. Uh, if, you, if you go to Sunday school or your church is still a church that sings hymns, you know the first, book, the first hymn in the hymn book is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And I think that the, in the writing of that, how the holy is triune is important here because it, it, it refers to Christ not only as holy in one situation, because when we look at humans, often we can be holy in one situation. We can be holy at our death, and so we met salvation. But we weren't holy in our birth because we were human, okay? Uh, at, at sometimes we might be holy in our current state, but let the wrong person cross us, and we set our holiness down. But one thing that he posed here true, and that he makes sure that we understand, is that he was holy at his birth. He was holy at his death, and he's holy in his current state. And that's just something I think that if you're going to take notes, Check out what he says in Luke one thirty five. Check out what he says in Acts two twenty seven, and check out what he says in Hebrews seven twenty five, and 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 put his character against that. I, I think that that's important. But then he says he the one who is holy, and the one who is true. Okay, now that word true. There's two Greek words in the Bible um, that mean that are translated true. Now one means true as in. Uh, and as in contrast to false, we're not really talking about that. We're actually talking about the Greek word alethenos. Um, and what, what that word means is truth in the sense of real or genuine. Okay. So he who is genuine, he who is holy and genuine, how many, you know, I, and, and just, just think about the things that you have encountered, the churches you have belonged to, the relationships you have been a part of, the families that you, you, you are a part. How many people are honestly genuine people? I thank God I believe I'm surrounded by a lot. Of, I, I believe that the core of the people that I keep around are genuine folk. But I know that there are a lot of people who love to call my name who are not genuine people. I know that there are a lot of folks that I deal with that are not really genuine toward me. And I've picked up on it, thank God, for the Holy Spirit. But <clears throat> he wants to assert him who is holy and him who is true because of the attributes of this church. Okay. And so as we as we're going to read a little bit further, I just want us to understand that first he is this is him who is this. He's talking to the city of love and he's saying, I'm holy. I've always been holy and I'm genuine. And then he goes on to say, he says, he who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut and what he what he shuts, no one can open. Now, check this out. Now we, we're gonna. I'm 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 really excited about this, and so I'm trying not to talk as fast as I am. But y'all know, uh, as I'm sure as you've listened to plenty of these podcasts, when I get excited, I talk a little fast. Um, but he has the key of David, and so I do. I want to cross reference um, Isaiah twenty two nineteen, and what it says in Isaiah twenty two nineteen, he says, "I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall I put thee down." 
And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be the father unto the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah, and the key of David will lay upon his shoulder and he shall open what he shall. So he shall open and no, none shall shut and he shall shut. None shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be from be a glorious throne to his father's house. Now, now, now first, you know, we read that he's got the key of David. Now jump to this familiar passage. I know that you hear it every Christmas, Uh, Isaiah nine, six, it says for unto us, a child is, is born and unto us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and he shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Okay. So this key of David is like this, this right to the throne. Okay. This this key of David is is this right to um, to power and assertion over the Jew, the Jews um, at the time. This key of David asserts that he is the only one that has the power to let anybody in the kingdom, whether this kingdom be on earth or this kingdom be heavenly. This key of David is important and it's mirrored throughout Scripture. Um, and and what's what's cool is that in Isaiah twenty two he was talking about um, um, El- Eliakim. And him becoming king on earth, okay, and talking about him, he's about to get uh, this key of David. But at, at Jesus's birth, it was well prophesied for his birth. It was said that the government would be upon his shoulder. Now you remember, he says, "I will commit the government unto his hand for Isaiah uh, in Isaiah to Eliakim." Um, and so this key of David is kind of like this birthright or this rite of passage onto the throne, this throne that he was promised to rule on and that we're going to see him deal with later in Revelation as we talk about the millennial reign. And <clears throat> and so this is he's, he's stating he's stating all of these things because he wants to establish that he has not forgotten. He's establishing who he is and what he is and what he shall do. He's establishing that he is God all by himself. Okay. Now, check this out. Now, this is what's interesting is when we talk, we know that Satan is the master of confusion. He likes to make a whole bunch of imitations and he tries to look as close to God as possible. We know that's what got him put out of heaven. (laughs) But when we look into these doors, there is in the city of Philadelphia, there's this pagan God called um, the God, God of Janus, a God Janus or something like that. Um, and it was the God of doors and hinges. OK. And later on, when the Pope, you know, takes over this area, the Pope uh, takes on this title, the same word. I think it's Cardinals or something like that. And it, and it means the cardinal, which means hinges. And so, but he took that not out of this passage, but out of following in pagan religion. Now, you remember we talked about, <laughs> we talked about them a, a couple of churches ago, but w- Satan is the master of confusion. Okay. And in his confusion, he's going to try to imitate what God has already deemed as good or deemed as himself. And, and because he was at one point was indeed intimate with God, um, in, the, in any effort to try to make what he has done look like what God has done or make it look like it was holy or true and genuine, uh, he causes confusion. But God here has championed the phrase uh, first and foremost all by himself. <clears throat> all right, let's move on. 
Verse eight, he says, I know your deeds. You remember he says that in all of all of the chapters. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He says, I have placed before you an open doors, open door that no one can shut. Now, I want us to parallel this back to Noah. Now, if you've been listening to the Bible School um, podcast, you know, we dealt with Noah um, in the Genesis study. Um, that is still going on, <laughs> but we've already dealt with Noah. Um, remember when we dealt with Noah that there was one door, okay? There was one door on the ark, and the Bible does not say that Noah shut the door. It says that God shut the door, and that God shut the door seven days before it rained, before it flooded. Doors throughout the Bible and throughout the scripture um, have been used as a symbol of deliverance. There was an artist who painted a picture and they called him an idiot for painting the picture because he painted the picture uh, with Christ standing at the door and there was no doorknob. And he said, what kind of artist are you? You didn't put a doorknob. And he said, no, I didn't paint it wrong. What he said, it was I painted the doorknob. I painted it without a doorknob because the doorknob is only on the inside. He stands at the door and knocks and you have to open it. Now, we're going to deal with that later because that is in this passage. Um, but I, when we start talking about doors, it's a symbol of deliverance. Um, and it's always used as a symbol of de- deliverance. And, and watch this is that when we start talking about the door, we first need to ask, is the door open? When we start seeing God calling to everybody, a lot of, a lot of the prophets and a lot of the leaders throughout scripture, often they would pin these words. They would say, I have an open door before me. And that kind of symbolizes that the Holy Spirit had already been working in the situation. And now they just had a, a clear path to go ahead of them. And just we, we see it with Paul and we see it with uh, several of the, of, of the New Testament. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Old Testament writers, but please don't quote me on that. Um, but but often they would make that statement. I have an open door before me. I even when we talk to people in this day and age, we be like, God has been opening doors for me and no one can shut. Well, let's put it. I'm gonna put it before you like this. When God opens a door. It means that he has already caused the provision for you to stay behind that door. Um, like he did for Noah, once they got in the in the ark, the door was shut and they were already sealed. You remember we talked about it being made sure they, the, it, the, the the boat was sealed, that their deliverance could not be taken away. Once they accepted it, it was it was theirs. It was it, it was nothing else for them to say. And so I teach this um, and I've talked this to a couple of different groups, but I, I want to take this moment to assert this idea that before you get ready to go anywhere, you need to ask God for permission to pursue. And I understand we're in the middle of a Bible study and I'm supposed to be teaching exp- expositorily and I am going to continue to speak, teach in that manner. But I think that, that, that this is an awesome opportunity for me to, to assert that before you get ready to go anywhere, do anything with anyone or anybody, anybody's company. Uh, before you get ready to hire somebody, you need to ask God for permission to pursue. Because if he's not giving you permission to pursue, it was not him that opened the door. He, he shut the door and Satan tried to come open it up or he opened a door that looked like his door. Because remember, he's he's an imitator. He's a master imitator. Um, and we see him do that all throughout this book of Revelation, Im- trying to imitate uh, what God has already made good, perfect in his perfect will. Uh, but Satan's we know that Satan's knockoff never, never, never comes close to what God ordained in the beginning. 
So, but, but yeah, that's just my little nugget, my, my little bit of insight before you get ready to go somewhere and do something and, 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 and jump, jump, you know, like what did Steve Harvey wrote a book called jump and everybody who is in, in, in the inspirational, uh, uh sector, they'll tell you, you just got to jump and got to jump before you jump. Cause I believe you got to step out on faith sometimes before you jump, before you step out on faith, before you move, you need to ask God for permission to pursue because often you want to make sure that the door that you have, um, you're walking through has already been uh, prepared and, and there's a place prepared for you. Uh, and we know that, that your gifts will make room for you and place you before good, good men. But we also know that your gifts, um, if you have to force, force your way into something, it's not God that is making the way for you. And that's my two cents. <laughs> okay, but he, he continues in verse 8, and he says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. So he's, he's, he's saying here, he's like, <clears throat> he says, I know the state of your heart. I know that you really want to do right, but I know that in doing right, you're around a whole lot of wrong. And because you're in your doing right, you're around a whole lot of wrong. I know that your strength is being whittled away. I know that you're surrounded by cities who don't do right. I know that people in your city are not doing right, but you, the church, y'all are doing right. And I'm very pleased with what, with what you have going on. And because I'm very pleased with what you have going on, um, you, you kept my word and you've not denied my name. Now let's look at this first, right? Let's look at these two things. He said, you kept my word and you have not denied my name. Those are two different things. And they are both pats on the back. You kept my word. So you've become faithful to, 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 to me. I belong to a couple of, um, a couple of, uh, groups on Facebook that are full of preachers. Um, one way bigger than the other. Um, and the bigger group, um, it's a lot of debating of scripture that happens in that group. Um, and I don't really chime in until, unless I really feel like I have something of value to say. But there's there's somebody that that's in that group who has asserted that she does not believe in the inerrancy of scripture, and she decides <laughs> she decides when she'll um, whether or not it's Jesus speaking or it's something that she needs to follow in her life because it has been made convenient for her um, in some some of her lifestyle choices, and so she only believes pieces of scripture. And, and, and I can relate in some places that I don't, I, it's hard for me to digest that it's not the will of God that we'll always be happy, but that's not always his will. You remember we talked about Smyrna, like he didn't offer them uh, an opportunity to get out of suffering. He says, we'll suffer. And if you'll keep suffering, um, I'll, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you, you don't have to endure some things. I'm going to remove you, but you got to keep suffering. And it's hard, it's hard, especially in like this American idea, and especially when we get the lay of the sea and we talk about that, it's, it's, it's hard um, sometimes to deal with suffering and to deal with some things that God has said you just cannot do, um, no matter how innate it is in your nature. Um, and so the first thing is that they kept, they kept his word when he, when he said, don't do it, they didn't do it. And they tried hard. And even if they failed, they, you know, they fell on the altar and they were like, Lord, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but then you've not denied my name because y'all know that gets hard. You get up against some folks that, um, are, are anti-God and, and, and they're not Christians. You know, sometimes we like to substitute God for the universe and we like to substitute, um, saying that I'm, I'm a Christian for I'm spiritual because that's what everybody around us is saying. But, but what do you see going on in Philadelphia is they're proud to say, no, uh, in Jesus name 
or you get ready to go pray at a council meeting and they ask you not to say in Jesus name. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so <laughs> when I pray, I pray in Jesus name or and it's not a prayer. It's just some words that I've thrown out in the atmosphere. <laughs> But they did those two things and they did those two things really well. And I think that it's, that's important. I think that's so important because sometimes, especially living in, in this modern age, it, it, we're encouraged a lot of times to say, well, you don't really have to follow that piece of the Bible. I, t- I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting teaching a Bible study and I've heard young people say, well, you know, you know, the Bible say you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, but like you don't really have to do that. And sexual immorality is hellbound. <laughs> like, um, and and I know nobody wants to say that because it's not culturally correct, but it's spiritually, it's biblically correct to say those things. You know, um, for those people, um, for those friends of mine, and and people I hold near and dear who are practicing various forms of sexual immorality, there are some things you need to abstain from. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, I know that's not popular and, and you might leave my Bible study, leave my church. Um, I'm sorry, but I don't want to really stand before God. And he, <laughs> I'm really not trying to stand before God. And he, he tell me that I led you astray because I know I'm already in error. And if I know the truth, I'm going to try to tell you the truth. Um, but that's, that's, that's really big that you followed my word and you didn't deny me. Verse nine. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, look, there's there's this really big heresy in a lot of people. And, and I've heard it. I've heard it several different ways. Um, as um, culturally aware as I try to be, there is this there. I, we got to deal with this because this scripture deals with this. There's this history that that says that because the Jews rejected the Messiah, that they for uh, they forfeited their promises, and that's not true. When we, you know, <laughs> um, that would deny that Israel's Israel's rightful place in the plan of God. And then even as we get deeper into Revelation, if you're familiar with any type of Jewish history, uh, the book of Revelation is about to get really Jewish really quick. Uh, it is, it's, it's about to get really Jewish really quick. Um, and you're not going to really hear mention of the church. I wonder why we're not going to hear mention of the church because the church is going to be raptured away. And since the church is going to be raptured away, he's going to deal with his purpose for the Jews. Now, like I said, just, just a couple of minutes ago, you, that just because you, you, there were some Jews who accepted Christ, but that does not deny their bloodline is still Jewish. They're part of both the Jewish uh, culture and the church. That's why I'm, I'm a big fan of the Jews for Jesus. That whole movement, yeah, I love that because I believe that they have a, they have an interesting view on Scripture. If I got an opportunity to go sit at some of some of them, their services, I probably will go do that. Um, and I'll probably be really excited about it um, because they have a very, very holistic view of Scripture, and I think it's important. Um, but the church and the Jews are two separate groups. That doesn't mean that we can't coexist in harmony. But this heresy here, this heresy that the Jews rejected their Messiah and forfeited their promises is what led to the Holocaust. Most people want to say it's the Nazis. The Nazis played their part. And I, I'm not going to let them off. They played their part. They did their wrongs. Um, but in their playing their part 
um, this led like th- just like the issues going on in the Middle East and how um, the people, the Israelites and the um, the Arabs are going at it and they upset about Jerusalem and, and, and Israel and all of that mess and 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 how how they're not getting along. That didn't just start a couple of years ago when they got Israel back. No, this is deep seated back in the Old Testament. And this is the fulfilling of prophecy. The fulfilling, this is the fulfilling of prophecy. This is God bringing back to order what he said he was going to do. And see, this re, if you have a reconstructionist view, you know, those who are building a theology on the Jews not being Jews anymore, you're saying that, uh, that there are things, because there are things that are in the Old Testament that have been prophesied but have not been fulfilled. And if you're saying that you're calling God a liar and we don't know, we know that God is not a man that he should lie. And so we, I want to, I want to make sure we establish that because there's, there's so much and I, and I'm going to really unpack that as we get through this chapter, but just know there is so much that he has promised specifically to the Jews and specifically to the church. And to mix the two takes away the beauty of scripture. Okay. Verse 10, he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the world and it will test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, this is probably the most controversial uh, scripture in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation. Um, And it it is controversial because it suggests that we ain't got to be here. When the seven trials, when when the seven years of tribulation happened, and I'm gonna be honest with y'all, I do not have any interest in being here. I know people who talk about they want to see it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> I went to Judgment Journey. And I've been there like three times. I'm not interested in being there when he cried. I'm not interested in being here when all this stuff. When they start talking about this this um, AI and putting um, sensors in in your body, I'm not interested take me home. I want to go hev- to heaven. I, I watch from up there. Um, <laughs> for the longest time, my parents had the left behind books in our home library. Y'all know I covered those books up because I knew that it was about revelation and I knew that it was going to be spooky. Uh, but no, I'm not interested in being left behind or not being here. But, uh, but let's unpack that though. Second uh, Thessalonians uh, three, five, and it says in the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God into the patient waiting for Christ. Okay. He says again, he says uh, in Psalms 1, he says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies. Your footstool. One more, one more scripture, Hebrews 10, 12. He says, but this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. All of these scriptures suggest um, that we're waiting on Christ to take possession of what he purchased. We know that he purchased us. Thank you. Thank the Lord. He purchased our souls. um, And he makes this promise in verse 10 that I will keep you from the hour of trial uh, that is going to come on the world. Um, and let's th- let's look at that. That Greek word, the hour of tribulation, is the Greek word aura. It, w- it means a time or a season. Um, in other words, he didn't keep Noah from the time of tribulation. He delivered him from the tribulation. And that's that's one of those things that we can make the differentiation of what he's saying here. Um, in Genesis, when we're talking about Noah, he delivered him from the tribulation, but he didn't deliver him for that from from that season. Um, he delivered Enoch from that season, <laughs> but he didn't deliver Noah 
Noah and his family from that season. He delivered them from the from the trial, um, and 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 so. But and the, and then the other thing is we're going to see in a couple of chapters is that in um, there are going to be about one hundred forty four thousand Jews who will be preserved through the trial, which means that they'll be on Earth um, during that era. But there's a promise to the church. See, and, and, and here's one of those moments where we can differentiate the difference between the Jews and the church. The promise of the Jews is that I will preserve 144,000 of you through the trial. And so that after the trial, when we make it to the millennial of reign, 144,000 of you will make it. Will be, you'll make it after uh, Satan has gone nuts on this earth. Um, but the promise to the church, and I thank God for this so much, is that I will keep you from the hour of trial, you're not going to have to endure that. And, and you, you know, look, th- these are the things that make me happy. These are the things that make me excited. Um, um, first Thessalonians first one ten, he says, and, and to wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Um, and this is one of those things that we, we, we supposed to take comfort in these scriptures that are supposed to add, uh, add power to our walking and our talking as we're enduring the chaos that is happening on earth as we speak, but that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. Um, again, revelation six seventeen. for the great day of wrath is come who shall be able to stand one more scripture. Uh, first Thessalonians five, two, he says, for, you know, very well, the, the day of the Lord will come in a thief, like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor planes on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so the day will not surprise you like a thief. Praise God. I would skip down in that, and still in First Thessalonians, down to verse 9, he says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it gets kind of spooky for a lot of people. And a lot of people like to debate this, this verse. And when I say this verse, I mean verse 10 here in Revelation 3. A lot of people like to debate it because it gets kind of spooky and they don't really want to deal with this idea that he could possibly rapture his church or that his church would, um, would disappear. Um, a lot of people like to, we like to be logical. And, you know, one thing that I teach is that I believe that all good science <laughs> will parallel to the word. And, and it checks out. But here's the thing about God. God does not have to bow to science. Science has to bow to God. And so while science has to check out with what the, th- what the word has said, the word does not have to check out with science. Um, and surely, you know, God will probably use some awesome methodology to get us up. And I don't really care how he does it. I just want to be included. Um, <clears throat> if I'm going to be honest with you all. Um, but one thing we, 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 and it's, 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 it's so much here. It's so much here, but Take solace in this if you and well, take solace if you belong to Philadelphia, that we he was going to keep us out of the hour of trial, that this idea that we we are because there are people who have built whole doctrines that that the we're all going to have to go through the trial, the tribulation and the millennial reign would come. But that would suggest um, and, and that's if you only believe that he's coming back one time. And that the gathering of his church and his return to rule and reign are the same. And if that is, if you believe, if your belief is that's the same, you can't take solace in this. I believe there's enough scriptural evidence that I want to cling on to and hold on to that he's going to rapture his church. He's going to grab his church. And that as he grabs his church, um, that he won't return to reign for another seven years. And there are things that, because there are things that have to happen on earth for seven years. Um, until he can come and claim his church. And I just don't want to be here for that. 
<laughs> if we're going to be honest, and, and that's just me being honest. But back to Revelation 6, 17, he says, for the day of wrath is come. No, I'm sorry. Back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, when he talks about um, the wrath being poured out on the earth. That wrath is not just for the Jews, but it's for all mankind. Um, this is not talking about specifically in one church. We know that that specifically he's writing to the, Thessal the Thessalonican church. And as he's writing to the Thessalonican church, uh, we, we, <laughs> we, we know, we know a lot of things about them. Um, but, and we know that Thessalonica, and, and we're going to deal with this in a couple of weeks, parallels to Philadelphia in a lot of ways. Um, but we, we know that even though he's writing to the Thessalonican church, that he's not just talking about the Jews who are physically persecuting them. You remember there are four levels of meaning in all of the, in all of revelation and especially in these letters. Um, we know that the local meaning, the admonitory, admonitory meaning, we know that there's a prophetic meaning, um, and we know that there is a personal meaning. He's not just talking about that local meaning. He's not just talking about because the Jews are persecuting you that I'm going to pour my wrath on just them. He's talking about man at large. And I just I take a lot of solace in knowing that I'm not going to be here when um, when all that happened. Praise God. Uh, verse 11, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your, your crown. So we know he says, I'm coming soon. That Greek word for soon um, or quickly, quickly is what the, I think the King James says means. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm coming tomorrow. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm coming really um quickly per se it really means I'm coming suddenly don't get comfortable and I, I guess I guess that means something but we yeah, you, I can I just I can lose pardon me I can just imagine somebody showing up to a bible study and I'm probably when probably when I teach it this this week um we're gonna get that but I can hear it so somebody coming to a bible study we're talking about well it's been 2,000 years that's not really soon but the Greek word actually means suddenly um, and since the Greek word means suddenly, that that kind of helps us understand what he means by there. I'm coming suddenly, so don't get comfortable. I'm coming suddenly, so keep watch. Um, and so he's coming. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. Now, you remember in John 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, he's gathering us. His gathering of us is separate from his ruling on earth. And I think I just said that now, but, but he's, he's saying, I go to prepare a place. Look, I'm, 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 I'm doing my, my task. So it's not like I'm up in heaven chilling. I'm not up in heaven, just watching you suffer. I'm taking care of some stuff. So I'm, I'm headed out and I'll be back as soon as, as soon as, as soon as I finish, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so his, I'm coming soon is saying that I'm not, I'm not really delaying. And if it seems like I'm delaying, I'm making sure that I'm putting on the finishing touches. Now, what I love about this, and one thing that I, I didn't, that I, I guess I hadn't taken into account, was that he said that so that no one will take your crown. You know, one thing that we talk about, um, we sing about it, I shall wear a crown. It's so many versions of that song. Uh, but what he's saying is you already have your crown. Don't let anybody take it from you. And I think that's one of those opportunities for us to take a, a, a trip through scripture. 
Um, because many of the greats, they get replaced throughout scripture for a lack of something. As much as I love Elijah, but Elijah got replaced by Elisha because of his lack of faith. As uh, Well, I don't really like Saul. But, you know, Saul got replaced because he had lost, he, he lost his view of Christ. And so he got replaced by David. And through David, this, line, this great lineage uh, happened. Uh, we see so many people throughout Scripture. It's, it's, the list goes on and on and on, but they, they get replaced throughout Scripture because they lost their view. Don't lose your view. Don't lose your, your focus. And I know it gets hard because sometimes you get into these ruts and you just really don't want to deal with this stuff. You really don't feel like getting in the presence of God. Like, I mean, you might talk to him in, in your anger. Uh, you don't really feel like doing what he's called you to do, being what you've called him to do. But don't lose your place. Because it's one of those things is that God will fire you and not tell you he fired you. You remember Saul, I told you Saul got replaced by David. You remember Saul was only in the will of God for three years of his reign. He ruled for all of those years, but he was only in the will of God for three. He got fired after three years. But he he thought he was he was doing the work. Don't get fired. Don't get fired. Please don't get fired. Don't lose your place. Verse 12. <clears throat> uh, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in my temple of my God. Um, he's talking about, you know, think, let's think about the pillars in the tabernacle. It wasn't that those pillars were holding things up, but those pillars were moments, were things that we looked to. They were reminders. They were places of honor. Um, verse, and then he continues, he says, never again will, will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Remember that all of God's own are marked. And, and he makes it very clear. That, and you think about that. Think about your walk. If you're walking in with Christ, you can tell who is a Christian. Um, I can't tell you how many folks just know my mama is, is, is the church lady. She ain't got a quarter of scripture, but they just know. I can't tell you how many times people have looked at me and they're like, well, you know, because that's always my thing. I'm scared I'm going to lead somebody astray. So I'll be diligent. I'm really trying to make sure that what I tell you is right. Um, and somebody said to me once, said, well, no, they, they ain't no question about whether you follow God. We know you follow God. Um, and, and that's the thing is that God marks his own. There are things, there are going to be markers on the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you smile, the way that you eat. And people ain't gonna, may not know what it is, but they're going to know that there is something about you that is different. Now, I'm sure you see, you're thinking, well, ain't there something called the mark of the beast? Why would, why would God and Satan do the same thing? Remember I told you that Satan is a great imitator. His, his mark is, 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 um, in mimicry of what God already does. You know, remember he, you know, Lucifer was, was close to God before he got put out of heaven. He, he knows how God operates. He knows that God changes not. And one of the tactics that he will use when he, when he starts reigning on this earth for seven years is that he, <coughs> pardon me, uh, that he will, he will, he's going to use the mark and he's probably going to mark it as if he were God uh, because he wants people to worship him as such. And because, you know, and, and one thing that bothers me, um, somebody was telling me that they came across the the satanic Bible or something like that. And and it tells the story of the fall in a way that favored Satan. And, you know, they're opening they've been opening churches now um, in the name of Satan. Um, and that was one of those things that got me when they talk about those who are the synagogue of Satan. Um, when we start talking about. Um, the chaos that happens on this earth, and and the issue with well, let me let me finish a thought. Um, 
you know, and, and they're, they're infiltrating schools. You know, we had we had um, first priority when I was coming up, and, and there was, I think, something called Journey or something like that for little kids um, where Christians came in and they talked to the kids and kids, you know, they helped cultivate their faith. And I know several people who go and do that and they read to the kids, several ministers who take time out of their day to go and dedicate that time. Well, Satan is catching on. He's he's the master of imitation. And so he's started these little groups, uh, these groups. And, and, and I know that in California that there are some schools where they call it, what is it, after school with Lucifer or something. And, you know, there's this show on Fox called Lucifer where they paint Lucifer as a regular guy. Um, but his, his, he's mimicking what we see as normal and good and just so that when the time comes for you to follow him, he'll seem like a reasonable, likable guy. And, and that's scary. That's scary um, to me. But I don't want to be here for that. Um, and I'm, I make that very clear. I don't want to be here for that. There are, there are things in my life that I crave. And if you haven't picked up my book, Call to the Peak, Craving the Pit, it'll probably shed a little light. There are things in my life that I crave that I deny myself because I'm not trying to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of that. Um, I want to see, I want to be in my father's house where there are many mansions <laughs> and there's been a place prepared for me. Um, and, and I think that that should be our declaration. I mean, let's, let's be real. I know, and we're going to talk about Leah to see next. Um, but I think that should be part of our thing and that we should be so hungry after God because we love God, but we should be so, so serious about our walk that because we don't want to be left here. Um, I'm not saying that I want to scare you into some great staunch Christian legalism because that is so not what I want to do here. But I think you need to be aware of the dangers and you need to be aware of what is at what you know what what is what what is it going to cost you? You know what is at stake? Because I'm look, there's a song Ken Jones put out. He said, uh, "You're cute, but you're not cute enough." My salvation. It's the truth. It's the truth. And, 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 and I can't say that I've always belonged to that school of thought, but I tell you, when I opened up this book, it made it plain and it wasn't hard for me to make a decision on whether I was going to be lukewarm or I was going to be hot. And trust me, I came out hot, <laughs> but all jokes aside, and, 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 and that's, that's a joke, but it's not really a joke. There, there's a lot at stake. Um, and I hope you belong to Philadelphia. I really do. I, you know, I know a lot of church folks want to claim that, and a lot of churches want to think that they belong to Philadelphia. I really hope you do, but I think you need to do a personal assessment on whether you really do. Uh, because I'd rather you know now, fix it, and get to be part of the church at Philadelphia and be raptured out of here than to belong to a church or a, a, a walk or a school of thought and not. Okay, but let's continue. Uh, still in verse 12, he says, The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write them on them my new name. Now, you remember when David was rejected um, by his own when he was supposed to be king. And, you know, he left. He went into exile uh, into the cave of Adullam. He was surrounded by three classes of men, men in debt. You know, they were exiled. Men who were um, men, uh, men in debt, men in exile and men who were discontented. And he took those he took those men and they became David's mighty men. Now, you remember Jesus was a rejected king, and they killed him, you remember? And he calls all of these people, these Gentiles that the Jews snubbed their noses at, 
And these people who have not committed to anything else and these people who don't really belong somewhere or these people who are, who are we're suffering and he's taking us and he's calling us his own. Um, I see y'all, y'all, I, I love the parallels throughout scripture. Verse 13, he who ha- whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So when I look at, at this scripture and I look at Philadelphia, Philadelphia is not a hard one for me. Because Philadelphia comes with a promise, and it comes with a beautiful promise. They all come with promises. Philadelphia comes with a beautiful promise. It comes with a promise that um, God is going to do wonderful things for us. It comes with this promise that God is going to move mountains for us. It comes with this promise um, that we don't have to be here. That's the big one for me, is that we don't have to be here. It, 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 it you know, even though there are some things going on in life, and 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 we, I don't, I don't agree with what happens in Washington, and I don't agree what happens at the UN a lot of times, and I don't agree with what's happening in uh, Asia Minor, the Middle East, or Africa, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I don't agree with a lot of stuff. I don't agree with the human trafficking, and I don't agree with the, you know, the the the, the polygamy, and I don't agree with with so many things, so many things that happen in this world. Uh, I don't agree with, but I love this promise that when he pours out his wrath, I don't have to be here. I don't have to be here. And then he, he makes sure that he sees that, you know, how, how we've kept his word and we didn't deny his name. So I ask you this, if you were in a rough situation like Columbine, or like the Parkland shooting, or like Sandy Hook. If you were on the plane like 9-11, if you were in a situation like the church in Charleston, and somebody asked you, were you a believer? Do you have the gall to stay and stand up and say, yes, I do? Because that's one of the things that he says, I see that you didn't deny me. And I'm going to be honest with you, like I really understand where Jesus is coming from here. Because one of the things that has really warmed my heart is when people have tried to trash my name or tried to tear me down was the people who stood up for me. And you better believe that I noticed the folks who didn't. I noticed the folks who didn't. But the people who stood up for me and didn't deny that they, they knew me or they knew the, the good things that I have done, yeah, that those are the things that I've remembered and held on to, and I've had a lot of respect for those people. And so I understand where well, he says, I know your deeds. You kept my word, and you didn't deny me. Take an honest inventory of yourself, because you never know whether you'll find yourself in that. But also make it your, your, your business to diligently walk out this word. One thing that I think we often have mistaken in our culture is that walking with Christ is a punishment. We think often that that it's boring or it's dead and I can't do this. And yes, there's there's a few things you can't do. But one thing that I love about walking with God is I rarely, not rarely, I never have to worry about being covered or dying you know, that's one thing that I used to be scared about. And there's a lot of a lot of folks I know that are scared of dying, but I, I don't worry about dying. And I don't worry about dying because I know that my soul is anchored in in in, in a God, in a Christ, in a Savior who has already signed to seal my fate. And my fate is much better than living on this earth. 
I think it was Paul that said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So make it your business to walk that out. Philadelphia is a wonderful letter. I, you know, I don't have to sit here and feel all sad and melancholy about teaching these lessons out of Philadelphia because Philadelphia comes with this promise that you're going to be raptured. But I want to make, I want you to make sure that you know that you belong to that church. And if you don't, let's make a change. You know, we make a change when we when we go to the doctor and they say uh, we we got issues going on in our body and they say we're going to die. We make a change. We we get on diets. We work out. You know, I've been swimming just about every day for about three years now because somebody said that I had to make a change or get on a pill. And so I made a, I made a decision that I was going to I was going to swim every day. Uh, for me. It was simple. <laughs> it was simple. It was simple. I hope it's simple for you. I hope it's simple. It's simple for you. Walking with Christ is not that hard. It gets hard sometimes, but the wonderful thing about this God that I serve is that he'll walk it out with you. And in him walking it out with you, like he He take your hand and, and, and he'll let you lean on him. He'll hold you. He'll keep you and protect you. And and, and look, y'all, I'm, I'm happy to be here about teaching about Philadelphia. Like, I hope you belong to the church. But really, please take the time and think about this thing. Do you belong to that church? Because notice that all of the churches had a false view of who they were and what they belonged to. Smyrna was suffering, but God said, y'all are great in my view. You know, that we, they thought they were poor and, and terrible, and, 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 but in the view eyes of God, they were different. You know, all these churches thought that they were great. Ephesus thought that they were perfect, uh, but they lost their first love. Sardis thought that they had it together. But he said, your work is not done. What are you doing? Get up. You got stuff to do. And I really hope that you, I like, I, I hope I belong to Sardis. I'm sitting here doing some self-evaluation and, and yeah, I'm going to continue to do self-evaluation, but uh, my goal is Sardis. And I hope that that's your goal. Well, good folks, this has been Bible School. I'm so glad you decided to tune in. Uh, we are coming to a close. Um of this portion and then we're going to dig into the deep, deep, deep stuff. Uh, but this has been Philadelphia and this is Bible school and I'm Reverend Kojo. Y'all be blessed. <laughs>